Hi, Gary Stone from Sharewell Systems here. Sure, you may be trading stocks, ETFs, CFDs, futures, or even cryptos and FX, but how do you invest the money that really counts, including your retirement savings? Do you do it yourself, or do you feel you lack the strategies and confidence and have instead entrusted your retirement to a managed fund or financial advisor? Or to somebody else to grow and protect your biggest investment? Go to sharewellsystems.com and download a case study that dissects a real money portfolio, which has achieved a return of double the ASX 200 accumulation index since January 2016. Sharewell Systems is proudly powering the spotty Your Call Hour right here on Ticker. Well, hello and welcome everyone to another hour of Investing Power. This is the show that's as great as you want it to be. This is Spotty live in lockdown from Melbourne town. And for the next 60 minutes, we're going to shine the spotlight on shares and answer your questions live on air. So what do we need you to do? We need you to send them through right now. You can text Dexter, who's waiting for your text message on 0480 079 089, or you can email us at question at Spotty. .com.au. And of course, you will see those contact details appear throughout the show at the bottom of your screen. So let's bring in today's Chief Spotters, starting with a man whose sharp wit is matched by his popularity. It's Ron Shamgar from Tamav Asset Management. G'day, Ron. How are you doing? Hey, Leo. How are you doing? Thanks for having oh, me. Well, I'm feeling quite chipper, actually. I don't know if you heard up there in Sydney side, but our restrictions have eased a little bit and I can have a little a bubble buddy now so what i'm going to do is i'm going to book the next plane out of here and you're going to be my buddy so i'll see you soon but before we <laughs> before <laughs> before i leave the studio though um what we need you to do is just to remind everyone who may be tuning in for the very first time uh just in regards to who you are your investment style and how you help clients at tamam asset management yeah, sure. So uh, I'm the head of Aussie Equities at Tamim Asset Management. Uh, we're a boutique uh, investment firm based in Sydney. Uh, we cater for uh, mostly wholesale investors and retail investors, and we offer a range of uh, investment solutions uh, in uh, Australian equities, international equities, property and, and credit funds. And I personally manage the Tamim uh, Old Cap uh, Fund and the Tamim Small Cap Income Fund as well. That's right. And you can go to tamim.com.au to learn about the funds that uh, run, Ron uh, manages, as well as the other asset classes that are available at the firm. And be sure to read, of course, the uh, PDS, the Product Disclosure Statement, in order to get across as to what's going on. Uh, OK, so next is a spotty debutant. Uh, for those that scour YouTube for your stock information, I am certain that he's come onto your radar. It's Richard Lee from the Stock Radar. G'day, Richard, and welcome to Spotty. G'day, Elio. Thanks very much for having me. No, well, thank you very much for agreeing to come on and sharing your words of wisdom as you do on YouTube quite frequently and people can follow you. Uh, Richard Lee at Stock Radar or just uh, type that in there. Don't worry, he's all over it, folks, so you'll find him. But if you, if for those that may not be aware um, as to who you are and how you roll, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself, your investment style, and then the software that you built, Stock Radar? Okay, thanks, Elio. Basically, I've uh, I've been working in the markets for many years, from uh, broking houses to bullion houses, and I worked for Dow Jones for quite a few years, both here and in England. I then came back here in the '97, decided to start up my own website called Stock Radar, which is really aimed at educating people on how to trade for on a, on a price analysis. So I provide education, I provide uh, templates, 
uh, provide sources of information uh, for those people who, to, to trade. I have a trading strategy that's backed up with capital preservation. So I'm primarily a trend trader. I'm a weekly based trader, so I'm not a very short term trader, but I'm a weekly trader and uh, that's really what I do. So I cover the top 160 stocks in the stock market and uh, that's where I base my um, most of my analysis on. And as I say, I'm basically on education and guiding people on how to, how to, to systematically approach the stock market using price analysis. And which is a good plug for your t-shirt. Do you want to show everyone what it says? Cool heads make cool decisions. So thanks, yes. Elio. That's what we try and do. We try and make cool, calm and collected decisions and we make the right decisions. So that's what we try and do on a very systematic basis. At stockradar.com.au. And uh, don't worry, uh, Richard, you're going to be getting some small caps, whether you like it or not. They're going to be <laughs> thrown at right. you in this show. Um, so we're locked and loaded. All we need now is for you to send your questions in. Reminder, though, that uh, all the uh, information in today's show is of a general nature only. None of it takes into account your objectives, financial situations or needs. And therefore, should you decide to act on it, you need to do so in light of your own personal circumstances. Past performance is no indicator of future performance, of course. And uh, also a reminder that some of our guests may hold interest in the stocks discussed. Often they will tell you that they're doing so, but sometime in the heat of battle, they may very well forget. Of course, both of them will be available to answer your questions. You can ask them directly as to their interest in any stock mentioned in this program. And just a reminder that, of course, we're powered by our great friends at Share Wealth Systems. Now, since 1995, they've been helping investors protect and grow their share portfolio using a rules-based investing approach that gives them an edge over others. And they've just released a new document, the 16 traits of a successful investor. And we'll talk a little bit about that at the halfway mark. So remember, folks, if you want to be the tortoise and win the race of investing life, then you need to go to the website, sharewealthsystems.com, and be sure to read all the relevant information on screen before making any investment decision. Okay, so as we go to air, the market opened up in a positive note. Most of that driven, of course, by uh, what's occurred in the iron ore space. Uh, we did have some significant news today from one of the major large cap stocks. So let's open with that as our topic of the day, uh, which is the Macquarie Group update. Um, they told us today that they expect first half results to fall by some 35% um, through to uh, September. And then they said that the next six months afterwards, they expect earnings to fall by some 25%. Uh, this should see their profit to be around, um, uh, around the 955 million mark, which is definitely lower than the 1.275 that achieved last year. Uh, asset sales, uh, provisions were um, you know, souring loans. There's been a reduction in transaction volumes lower investment income were all reasons for the downgrade. It uh, had said previously, Ron, that they expected there to be a slight drop off in regards to earnings. But today's announcement really has shocked the market. The stock was sold off initially quite aggressively down 5%. I think it's rebounded a little bit since then. Um, one, what does it mean for Macquarie and the old story of this great behemoth? And I suppose, you know, if we can extend that broader to the broader macro sense and the economy, is this uh, something we need to be worried about, Ron, in your view? Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, Macquarie Group, at the end of the day, they're, they're really a business that relies on um, investor sentiments, you know, capital markets, and really their ability to, to recycle uh, their assets and investments, um, you know, to uh, other global investors. And, you know, obviously this result uh, reflects that lack of um, of sort of demand um, from global investors uh, for buying certain types of assets. Um, you know, and there's also been a lot of, there hasn't been a lot of M&A um, activity as well, which mm. uh, has lowered their fees, which they make from that. But we, we think that's gonna actually pick up 
and, and obviously with you know markets and, and funds underperforming they haven't really made you know those performance fees and um, you know they do Macquarie Capital has about 3.7 billion dollars of unlisted investments which are valued at book value and they're probably worth significantly more if they can actually sort of um, sell those or IPO some of those but there is one company Nuix for example which is a software company which is rumored to IPO in the next few months and that could be a big one one and a half two billion dollar IPO if the tech sector sort of maintains its um, momentum and, and that would be a sort of a big uh, win for them and I think you know obviously um, as we sort of emerge from COVID and the world sort of starts getting back normal in the next 12 months I think sentiment globally will improve and you know rates are close to zero globally and I think that, that you know eventually there will be demand for some of their investments and their infrastructure assets that they own and so it will recover but you know it's probably going to sort of um, probably going to see sort of market consensus downgrades uh, over the next sort of few months that's for sure. All right so Richard I mean if you look at its share price action like it's a very similar pattern that most stocks uh, exemplified particularly in the large cap space where they fell off the cliff in March subsequent rebound but since then, it's lost a little bit of puff. And for those that have looked at charts long enough, even those that don't study technical analysis, has a bit of a rollover feel. So um, in regards to price action, where are you seeing Macquarie sitting right now? Yeah, look, I think you're exactly right, right Elio. The, the, the stock has risen quite fast and it's now having a bit of trouble. If we look at a chart from 2018, 2019, there's one, two, three tops. The final top is a 150. So each time it tried to make a new high, it pretty well failed and then fell off that cliff. It's now come back to that level um, up around between 130 and 150 where all those three tops lie. So I would say from my point of view, um, the volume hasn't been fantastic. It's tapered off. It's going to have a lot of trouble rising from here. And I actually probably would see a little bit of downside for the moment. Okay, so that's our main news story of the day, Macquarie. It will be interesting to see what happens because, of course, if there's anything that moves in investment markets, these guys are involved in some shape or form. And what happens to them is going to be a bit of an insight in regards to what happens to our broader market. All right, so let's get to your questions, folks, starting with a video question. And remember, if you want to send a video question in, that guarantees that we not only ask it, but I get both the guests to give their view. Uh, just send it through in horizontal mode. This question comes from Evan. Take it away, Mike. Hello, team. Can I please get your thoughts on Fish and Paco Healthcare and its recent price action? It's had a bit of a pullback to around the $30 level, which seems to offer a bit of support. Um, and I'm looking at a possible entry point. Um, however, it may be better to wait to see where the price heads to from here, given there's a chance it may continue the downtrend. Uh, I've also looked at ResMed uh, and I see that it's also had a bit of a price uh, pullback. Um, possibly the better of the two options, given its valuation and trend. Um, and the fact that the two operate in similar sectors or in similar areas, um, and as we work our way out of this pandemic, perhaps Fisher and Paykel sales in the hospital respirators may drop off. Thanks as always for a great show. Well, I've got nothing to add to that, gentlemen. I think Evan covered it uh, quite well in regards to what his thoughts are. So uh, I'll just, uh, hand it over to you um, if I can. Oh, who should I go first? Uh, <laughs> this is always a good one. Sorry, just got a little bit of a uh, technical glitch here. Ron, if you can go first, um, that'd be great. Thanks. Sure. Yeah, sure. Look, uh, you know, Fisher and Paykel um, and also ResMed, but both are real sort of COVID winner businesses. Um, they've seen huge demand because of COVID and, you know, all for their res respiratory sort of uh, products. Um, with Fisher and Paykel, they, they do have um, a lot of IP around this nasal high flow technology. 
which has seen really early stage uh, demand globally and it's being used in emergency departments now and sort of moving into ICUs. Uh, they're getting traction also into China, so they've been doing really well. They have been on a bit of an upgrade cycle, and you know, if you look at the chart, you can see that you know they're really just um, almost uh, sort of doubled over the last sort of twelve months. Um, yeah. So that, that's a that's a business that's uh, doing really well and benefited. The question is really how long uh, is COVID going to sort of hang around, and and whether they're sort of um, people uh, how you know how sick they get from it. Um, which will determine demand and whether they can keep upgrading profits. If you look at their valuation, I think they're trading on about sort of 36 times EV to EBITDA for, for, for this year. And um, it's probably at an 80% premium to uh, its international sort of medtech peers. So, um, you know, it is pretty expensive. Uh, we've seen some sort of analyst sort of valuations of maybe around sort of $36 or thereabout. So it's maybe trading at you know 15, 10% upside. So, you know, the, the easy money has sort of been made. And I guess uh, if, uh, you know, if sort of COVID starts to subside globally, maybe they're not gonna see as much demand as they have seen so far. So mm. it's not one that we own, but you know, it's a, it's a good business, just a bit expensive. Yeah, now look, uh, I suppose Richard, you know, Evan mentioned in the same breath ResMed as well. So, you know, both of them are being sold off, one would assume because of the same reasons where uh, much like uh, Ron talked about, where will that future immediate growth come from, particularly as it still takes a while for things like elective surgery and the like to get online and more people to go back to hospitals, as it were, around the world. What's that price chart telling you for both um, Fisher & Paykel and ResMed, of course, which is R&D for those playing along at home? Okay, look, I've got um, Fisher & Paykel up in front of me at the moment. Now, it's, it's obviously got a fairly, fairly healthy long-term uptrend there. It has a few blips along the way, but even the one we're seeing now, isn't that isn't that really that serious yet but on all these sort of stages what we look for in price when the price comes down we look for the price to come back and find some buying support now we've seen a lot of lot of selling absorbed in the market pretty well of late and i can see there's been a, a bit of selling in the last couple of days but not nothing like the volume on the upside so i'm not too concerned about this stuff i would just literally be waiting for it to maybe pull back into that area just below 30 dollars. there's a bit of support through there uh, that it ran through earlier this year um, and I think it probably will, could well hold up. So we look for the buying to hold this stock. The weekly trend still holds up, so that looks fine to me. Resistance is at 36, and the kick above there will uh, probably trigger another run higher. Okay, then. And ResMed, just uh, while we're on the topic? Well, I think ResMed's probably in the same situation. You yeah. know, they're, they're all work in this great, great space, this health sector space. And, you know, amongst the, the strongest sectors in the market, we've got health, consumer staples, uh, internet stocks, this sector is really a strong sector and Fisher & Paykel has been an outstanding performer. So price-wise, I don't see any real damage to ResMed or Fisher & Paykel at the moment. All right then, Ron. Well, I've got seven questions in regards to this stock. The first person to ask it was Michael, so I'm going to attribute it to him. Uh, the stock that he's asking about is Sezzle, code SZL. Uh, for keen watchers of Spotty, they'll know that the buy now, pay later space has not only been hot, you haven't blanketed the sector, but one that you were quite favourable on uh, was Sezzle, SZL. Uh, obviously, the announcement from PayPal entering the space shook a little bit of confidence in the sector, and we've seen some pretty uh, heavy sell-offs uh, across many, including Sezzle, which was down 5% this morning. Uh, I suppose everyone just wants to know, Ron, from the great man himself, has anything changed in regards to your view of the business? How do you see the PayPal introduction? And are you still committed to it uh, with your money at Tamam Asset Management? Yeah, look, well, uh, you know, 
PayPal sort of uh, uh, spoiled the party, uh, so to speak, <laughs> in the sector um, in the short term. That's for sure. I mean, you know, it's killed the momentum, and, and it, it was a, a hot thematic. It had a lot of momentum. Valuations were sky high. So, you know, I think we're seeing a bit of that sort of correction now. Um, you know, to us, we still hold Cezil. Um, you mm-hmm. know, obviously, we did. You know, we did take profits when he went to nine, ten bucks, but we still hold it, and we've been sort of accumulating. Uh, slowly around these levels. I think PayPal um, entering the buy now, pay later market is just a validation that this is really the future of credit for the younger generation, you know, the Gen Zs of the world. And um, if you look at, you know, two things that sort of reinforce our belief in this is, is, is one that, you know, their older cohort of customers of both Cezol, Afterpay and all the other ones, they keep shopping more and more and more. So, you know, cohorts of customers from a few years back are now shopping 17, 20, 25 times a year compared to a few years back. And that shows us loyalty to the product, that it's here to stay. The other thing that to note is that in Australia, uh, buy now, pay later as a percentage of e-commerce sales is about 8%, which is probably the most mature market in the world. Uh, if you look in, the, in North America, it's only 1%. And then globally, it's only 1.6% of e-commerce sales. So this is just early days in this sort of structural shift away from credit cards uh, to buy now, pay later uh, form of installment payments. And, you know, for us, Cezol, uh, they're a pure North American play. Uh, they're, they're growing fast. Um, they only got one and a half plus uh, million customers. Um, you know, they got 90, I think there's 90 million Gen Zs alone over there. Uh, they're looking to expand potentially into India, maybe Europe. Uh, so, so we think that PayPal validates the sector and potentially what we're seeing is a lot of these players have come and they've listed mainly on their stakes. And I think the next round, maybe 12, 18 months, will be a round of consolidation. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised seeing PayPal, if they start seeing traction for their business in the sector, I wouldn't be surprised if they actually acquire some of these market leaders uh, down the track in a few years from now. So we were very positive on the sector. Nothing's changed, but in the short term, the momentum is unfortunately... Uh, gone. <laughs> okay, no, but uh, but you you touched on an interesting point. I'm not going to let you get away with it that easy, particularly around. And I love it when I get money managers on the show because I know your people see tops and bottoms and they think it's easy to pick those sorts of things. But when you're managing, you know, a position worth a few million dollars, the question around money management is so important because, of course, just because moving averages cross down, you can't just sell everything because you sort of make it a fade to complete, take out the liquidity, and you get smashed. You mentioned you were taking profits. Just explain that as a concept, as a money manager to everyone watching, because I think you'll, they'll all find it very valuable. Um, well, you know, we, we value businesses. Um, so when we before we buy them, so, you know, we started purchasing Cezol, you know, at $2 and then we bought all the way up to sort of $4. And then obviously the sector re-rated strongly. And we started to, you know, initially we had a valuation of 6 then 8 then $10 as the company sort of upgraded their the growth rates. But re- in reality, when it got to those valuations, we just have to manage the position. So based on the valuation and with the share price exceeding it, we just took profits. Although if we like the sector, we think it's got really good long-term tailwinds, then we always keep a core position. And then we just look to potentially buy uh, if it does get uh, sold off, which is what is happening now. So that, that's how I guess we manage a long-term position that we like fundamentally. And then, Richard, that's where we bring you in because, of course, the stock has retraced some 50% now from its all-time highs. Uh, what's your advice to young Ron and also the other seven people that asked about Cezzle? Is the uh, 50% pullback now enough? Because uh, I think it's down actually 10% as we go live to air. So it's suffered uh, quite heavily. The pace of the sell-off has uh, picked up through this, uh, the show. 
Um, is now the time, or what sort of levels would you be wanting for some comfort, or what price behaviour would give you a little bit more comfort there? Okay. Okay, thanks, Elio. Look, I think, you know, with a stock like Sezzle, we, we all have our strategies to how we work, and Ron has a strategy, and I have a strategy, but there's a, there's a certain commonality between what we all do, and that's we, we have reasons why we buy stocks and we, know, we thus know what to buy. So it's always important to know what your strategy is. Now, I'm a trend trader. I look for trading trends. Now, I'm out of this stock because it's come back too far as a capital preservation money management process. But now that it's come off, what do you do? Okay, the thing to do now is to wait to see where the support comes in, where the buying comes in. At the moment, the last couple of weeks, we've seen some very heavy selling on the stock. Uh, so now I'm really waiting for this stock to come back, and it could come back. It's often for $11 to, to below $6 already, so it could still come back quite a long way. And even if you can come back to this area, which is around $3, um, which is where the, the main area of support is. So I'm just biding my time waiting and watching for this one to, to keep falling. Okay, then. So hopefully that provides some help to all of you now. Because uh, we spent a bit of time talking on two companies, we're going to shotgun a gentleman and keep it rather quick. So, Ron, this question's for you. It's directed at you. It's from Phil, as well as Kate's just sent it through live. Um, same question, Spirit Telecom, code ST1. Um, obviously, people who are fans of yours uh, saw you on the program talk about as being one of the stocks to see the light on. Uh, announced the capital raising at 32-odd cents. Its share price initially spiked to around 40-plus, but it's retraced a little bit. And I suppose with that deadline coming up soon for the share purchase plan, many investors may be a little concerned should they put in capital, though I note here Phil has uh, already taken his allotment and he's happy to do so. So, uh, yeah, any update in regards to uh, ST1, Ron? Uh, yeah, look, I think uh, just like you said, basically, that you know, they've raised money. Uh, they've acquired uh, three IT uh, services, telco businesses on the East Coast and uh, New South Wales. Uh, so they've now really got a really good coverage there. Um, they cashed up. I think they've got about uh, 11 or $14 million of cash and probably with debt facilities, $20 million to, to you know, to uh, deploy into sort of uh, further acquisitions. Uh, as always is the case, but when there is an SPP, uh, I think the cutoff date what is today, um, then at, that's at 32 cents. Obviously, there's a bit of an arbitrage where, where sort of the investors sell uh, some shares in order to buy shares at a discount. So I guess well, that's what we're kind of seeing. I think sort of once that gets through, um, the stock should start heading back up. Um, I, we, we believe they're having an extremely strong uh, first quarter for, for FY21, and we should get an update uh, probably um, first week of October, so in a couple of weeks from now. And mm -hmm. I think that will probably sort of get it going again. And also we'll see how much uh, um, each investor is getting in SPP. We think it's going to be a huge scale back. So investors might be disappointed that they may have sold too much. And we'll see some buying <clears throat> come back into the stock. So, yeah, really great long-term story. Uh, and we think it's probably, you know, the short term it's worth in the mid 40s, but longer term they'll keep acquiring businesses and the valuation, you know, then goes a lot higher. Uh, just quickly, while I've got you there, Unity Wireless, I mean, obviously it's a stock in the same space. It's one you've backed in the past. I think you may actually back it today. Uh, Opticom was uh, taken from under it from that uh, fund. Now, you did mention on this show, to be fair, that when Unity Wireless bought it, they were buying it on the cheap. Uh, looks like State Street think they've done the same. <laughs> they were doing the same and have lobbed a higher offer. So, what's for Unity Wireless Code UWL? Um, uh, does this change the thematic there in that regard? Yeah, look, like, like PayPal, it's another party spoiler there. <laughs> um, so yeah, look, I mean, yeah, they, they've bid. Um, you know, they've bid. I think uh, fifteen percent higher. So yep. probably another 
70 million dollars more look unity group i mean obviously that they've, they've got until 18th of september which i think is monday uh, to uh, put up a firm bid which they probably will yeah uh, we're and i'm 100 percent certain that unity group will match uh, the offer and opticon will recommend it but then the risk is if states um uh, if the super fund uh, bids a little bit higher i think unity just cannot afford to i think they're going to have just too much debt and then the valuation sort of starts getting a bit sort of too much so that will be a big negative for them because really and um, part of their growth strategy was really and getting scale it was really this opticom sort of acquisition merger so um, look it, it is a negative um it has lowered the valuation of this business and um, but i think generally it does highlight sort of the value within Unity because Unity Group has a similar business to Opticom. So I guess it does show that it is sort of worth a lot in, in someone else's hands. Uh, but um, so, you know, I think that until this is sorted out, I think the stock is going to struggle. But in mm -hmm. saying that, if it keeps going lower, maybe to, a, you know, maybe like around $1.10, then it's actually the core business plus all the cash that they have on the balance sheets, which they're not going to use for the Opticom deal. Uh, start making it look really cheap and there's other businesses that they can acquire so they'll just have to go a different uh, path but um, in the short term i think uh, we'll have to see what happens with this opticon deal yeah and paying above the odds is something that has been a bit of a history in this sector as a whole so fingers crossed they can maintain control there uh richard question for you specifically uh comes from laura actually oh and by the way ron we're going to come to you for see the light in a moment so you'll be up next for your two stocks to help us with richard uh laura wants to know a technical analysis view on bhp at the moment now she's sort of got her fingers and toes crossed hoping that the price will hit 43 dollars, and she wants to know is she dreaming um i think it'd be a brave person to say she is dreaming but what levels could you tell her that maybe the dream might be over uh because it's definitely on a strong trajectory towards there well, look, it's risen pretty strongly since COVID. It's back to those highs up around just above $40, and it's coming off again, which I don't particularly like the look of. I must say, in this whole uh, innovation by technology sector, I do like this, this uh, the mining sector and the demand for some of these new uh, metals that are going to be occurring across the board of late. And BHP certainly in that space. Mm. It's also got iron ore. Crude's probably near, near a low price, although it might go a bit lower. But when I look at the chart then, I see all these tops from 2019 through 2020. Um, it's not making me very happy. So I'm probably looking for it to come back to around the $30, $35 level um, before I look at it. And that's how it looks right at the moment, I think. Yeah, so look, you know, Laura, I mean, it could possibly get there. And let's face it, you know, iron ore continues to be a very strong uh, theme as we see across the board. And yeah, look, I, I don't think there's necessarily anything other than uh, to say that you know, until something changes that thematic, um, there's no reason why I can't. And then the question will be money management, which is that issue that I talked about with Ron in a, um, a while ago. But speaking of that, uh, Ron, it's time for you to step up to the plate. You're going to help us see the light on two stocks that we're going to toddle off and do our own personal research into to see if they align with our investment objectives and, of course, tolerance to risk. So what companies do you want to help us see the light on today? Yeah, look, two, two companies that uh, uh, we own and that we really like um, are Resimac, RMC, mm -hmm. and Big Tin Can, which is BTH. So I'll start with Resimac, uh, which is really one of the largest um, non-bank um, uh, mortgage originators in Australia. They've got about a $13 billion book. 
Um, they've been around for quite a quite a few years. Uh, we really like the management team, really conservative, and they've over the last sort of five years they've managed to grow uh, their profit at thirty percent uh, compounded per annum. Um, it's a really sort of capital light uh, growth business, which the market is sort of not really valuing it as such. Uh, I think the market is more focused on concerns around obviously um, the Australian economy, the property market, and so on. But what's interesting is even through this sort of whole COVID um, um, 2020 year, uh, they've been managed to grow at seven times system growth. So they really are taking market share and really their best proposition for the mortgage broking uh, channel uh, is, is just their service. They can turn around a loan approval within 24 to 48 hours compared to some of the big banks, which can take a few weeks and they give certainty to brokers and their customers in terms of getting that loan approval. Um, they did the, the they delivered about 80% profit growth uh, last year to $55 million. But what's interesting is if you excluded their special sort of COVID provisioning in the second half, they actually did $42 million of NPAT in the second half. Now, this is really a recurring revenue business as they grow their loan book, they clip the ticket. So we really think they're starting FY21 with about $84 million of NPAT. And then if you add growth to that, we think they could potentially deliver $100 million of NPAT in FY21. And their market cap is around $550 million and they got net cash and they pay a divvy. So we think the market doesn't really get this business, but eventually it will. We think it's super cheap. It's worth about two bucks. Uh, so that's Resimac. And then the other one is uh, Big Tin Can, uh, which is a sales enablement um, software. It's a SaaS business in the cloud. Uh, they are a global business and they've really sort of started a few years back and they've been growing at the top line at 30 to 40%. Uh, revenue growth over the last few years. Um, they're really sort of benefiting uh, in, in, from the COVID world with um, you know, remote workforce and companies needing to sort of upskill, train uh, their sales staff. And um, they've guided to um, what was really a above market consensus um, uh, annual recurring revenue guidance of approximately $50 million for uh, FY21. Now we think $50 million for a SaaS business um, is a huge milestone where usually it gets a, a multiple re-rate for maybe six times ARR a multiple to usually eight, ten times. And so we think that this is what this company is currently going through, this, this massive re-rate. Um, if you look at sort of the, its industry, it's been rated as the sort of the number one sales enablement software business in, in, in the world by uh, Gardner Research. A really good conservative management team. And they're going to do a few acquisitions in the next couple of months. Uh, they have about 70 mil of cash. And I think that's going to be the next catalyst to take it to sort of the next level. We value it around $1.30. But, um, you know, if it does get to sort of those SaaS uh, AR multiples, it can go up to $1.80 in that case. So Resimac, RMC and BT can, B-T-H-R, runs two stocks to help us see the light on. Well, we're about halfway, folks. So remember, we're a question at spotty.com.au. Although our machines have gone into meltdown, but please do send your questions through. We'd be happy to answer them if we can fit them in. Uh, remember, if we can't answer them all today, we'll answer them tomorrow and Wednesday as well. And you can go to the website at spotty.com.au to watch all the replays. If you miss an episode, just look at the bottom there. You'll see what companies were discussed. And of course, we're available on all the podcast uh, channels as well. Now, Spotty, the Your Call Hour is proud to be powered by our partners at Sharewell Systems. 
Now, they've made available a document, the Discover the 16 Traits that Skyrocket the Portfolios of the Most Successful Investors document, which is now available at a new website, which is www.16traits.com. Go there if you want to download this free ebook, including things like, and as we talked about with Ron there, uh, trait number seven, which is, for example, keeping your powder dry. Now, Gary tells us this is a big advocate for market timing and, of course, the preservation of investment capital, particularly when markets become overheated, just like it did with regards to Zettel. Now, in these moments, it teaches our, uh, us to all remember to keep some powder dry and be cautiously patient to protect our capital and seize opportunities when they occur, because the important point of all this is that we can live to fight another day and moving to cash allows us to do that. Uh, the best way ultimately to manage your portfolio and keep your powder dry is to stay vigilant, respond to market conditions uh, using a predefined exit strategy rather than holding on in hope and watching your portfolio wither away. So buying is easy, but knowing when to sell is tough. And that's why you want to download the 16 Trades of Successful Investors, uh, which is www.16trades.com in order to learn more. Thanks again to our partners at ShareWealth Systems. Now, at the moment, the market currently is up still. Uh, all ordinaries are 0.49%. The XJO are 0.54%. So let's uh, go through uh, these uh, uh, again. Now, I will go to you actually with this one here, Richard. Uh, you've been patiently waiting there. So uh, Peter uh, has asked about two large cap stocks. So I'm not going to bother Ron with these uh, because uh, I really think that he's, the way his question's angled, he's looking at you. So he obviously believes in the long-term potential of the WAX stocks, the ZEED stocks, the, you know, whatever other acronym that's out there. Two stocks that have been left out of acronym world in recent times have been Amcor, code AMC, and uh, QBE Insurance, of course, uh, QBE. Now, he's looking to lighten the load um, on those stocks to consider more the types of stocks that Ron likes, I'm assuming. Um, so he's wanting to know just in regards to his timing of the like, which of the two would be a priority in regards to lightning? Now, of course, we can't take into account his objectives or uh, needs, but obviously how are the charts looking for both uh, AMC and QBE, Richard? Okay, well, thanks, Elio. Well, both those charts are in very different spaces. QBE has obviously suffered a lot over the last few years and has been trying to bubble along a low and it's, it's uh, each couple of months it tries to unearth a rally and is certainly struggling. So uh, although and I, I don't see much upside, I also probably don't see a lot of downside in QBE. Yeah. So uh, for that stock is really not not a lot of interest in being that stock and holding it any. Um, now Amcor has actually recovered pretty strongly from $10 from COVID. It's got up to around 16. Now the interesting thing about uh, Amcor is it's got a big high at around 16.50 that's been going on since about 2015. And we, we got there in 2019, we tried again in 2020, and we tried again in two th later in 2020, and each time we've had lower lower peaks. So to my mind, Amcor is shortly probably gonna to return to the low of the trading range, which has been in for probably five years, and the low of that trading range is down around $12.50. So if I was gonna lighten anything at the moment, I would certainly be looking at lightening at Amcor. It's at a big resistance level now, and it's struggling. Okay, and hopefully that answers your question too, Tobias, who just texted your uh, question in too. Uh, Ron, a uh, question from Ellie, who uh, likes listening to us via the podcast and uh, has it in his ears when he's at the gym, obviously not from Melbourne. Uh, his question, it's his first ever question, so great to have long-time first-times on the show. Objective Corporation, OCL is their code, Ron. Uh, again, in the IT space, and he'd love to hear your view uh, from a fundamental perspective, please. 
Yeah, look, uh, <clears throat> objective, really high quality um, software business, uh, cloud software for online collaboration tools, yeah. uh, really impressive uh, management team, uh, the, the founder and MD, Tony Wallace, you know, I've met him for quite a few years, uh, really conservative, I think he owns about 50 or 60% of the stock. Uh, he's done really well, sort of converting the business from you know perpetual license to sort of more SaaS uh, recurring revenue uh, base. Um, they're obviously you know a COVID beneficiary, as uh, you know, with companies sort of more uh, working and collaborating online. Um, they've got about fifty million dollars of cash. Uh, they FY twenty was a really good result. Um, they had about seventy million revenue. Their annual recurring revenue is now up twenty percent to fifty seven million dollars. Um, their EBITDA was up 20% to 17. Uh, they are a very conservative in terms of how they um, yeah. uh, report their um, uh, capitalized development costs. They spend about, uh, I think it's about $16 million a year. And unlike other software companies that capitalize a portion of that and inflate their EBITDA, Objective just expenses everything. So it does, um, you know, sort of reduce their EBITDA. So, um, you know, the, the, the comparable EBITDA is probably a lot higher than 17 mil. Uh, in saying that um, their unearned income is up 50% to $36 million, which is essentially a future indicator of growth. That means that you know they, they, they make sales, but they only recognize the revenue as it gets paid uh, on a monthly basis. So that's really good. They're guiding, I think, for about $65 million of annual recurring revenue for next year. So that's about 20% growth. Um, and we estimate they'll probably report about 25 mil of EBITDA in FY21, which is 50% growth. And again, that's... Um, probably underrepresented because of the way they expense. Uh, but it is a $1.1 billion market cap now. It's probably trading on 43 times um, EV to EBITDA, maybe 35 times EV to free cash. It's not cheap, um, so it's not something that we would um, own at these levels, but just a high quality business that if you can buy at a much lower price, uh, it's, it's one that you just want to hold into. Okay, so hopefully that gives you a little bit of guidance there. And uh, yeah, try not to trip on the treadmill when you uh, hear that result. Uh, okay, so this question here comes from Greg. The company's PYC, which is uh, PYC Therapeutics, and he says it's come up on a few of his radars and wants to know our thought. Well, look, they're exploring some interesting methods for uh, cellular delivery of a range of high-value drug cargos that can't you know, really be... Um, normally done through uh, your you sort of, well, they can actually be done through the creation of an artificial virus, but obviously that creates other potential risks. So what they're trying to do um, is they're trying to mix it with their, um, uh, their CPPs, which are basically a type of peptide, actually. And the early results are quite good. Um, there's been quite a few through that come through, like uh, on their DNA therapies, their uh, DNA zyme therapies, and a few others as well. And should they be successful, it will really provide a new paradigm for drug delivery um, all across the world. Uh, of course, though, it's important. The results, though, though they look exciting, you've got to note they are burning cash at an alarming rate. And actually, when it started these trials back in March, they acknowledged that the risks that they were taking were quite elevated and high. So therefore, notwithstanding the early preliminary uh, strong results, what we're going to be wanting to see is you know, some more rubber hit the road, some more positive results, and that'll probably be the next catalyst. What you're seeing is a bit of froth and bubble in the share price at the moment. Um, that'll play out as announcements come to hand. Hopefully that provides you with a little bit of <clears throat> help there. Great. Um, Richard, I'm going to go to Katmandu, KMD, company in the retail space. 
the question comes from Paul. Note that, uh, it, uh, that uh, it doesn't seem to have had the bounce that a number of other retailers have had, though he argues it's got a good online presence. Um, so he wants to know what, you know, sort of what's going on. Why wouldn't the market notice it? Of course, that's very hard to actually articulate. But what I think would be very helpful is what sort of price levels you can give him that would, uh, you know, ho hopefully reaffirm his positive bull case or get him to change his mind. Well, I'm just looking at the chart now, Elia, and that's a very tricky question, you could say. I think as far as the online goes, the market doesn't believe it. And if it did believe it, it would be buying the stock. So the stock's not going up. So uh, to my mind, the market's not believing the, the story at this stage. There obviously needs some more evidence to, for that to happen. Having said that, down by the lows here at around about 59, 60 cents, um, we can see some very, very strong demand. And you haven't any volume figures on your chart there, but on mine I do. And there's been some very good volume. So um, it certainly rallied off those lows from 59 cents, 60 cents uh, to a dollar, dollar eight today or yesterday. So it's certainly looking pretty good, but I would certainly be, unless it can go above the recent highs of above one sort of 20 or whatever it was, um, I'd be looking for this, this guy to retrace. I'd be looking to buy this cheaper and wait for some demand to come back in. Well, Ron, when you can't buy fleece jumpers here in Victoria because you can't go outside, I mean, what's the point there? Obviously, that's going to be a pretty hard <laughs> sell. But one company that has done well from everyone being locked down, and I know it's a stock that you look at quite closely, is Marley Spoon. The code is triple M. Uh, and Craig has just asked on the test message, uh, text message machine in regards to our view on the stock. And he wants to also know um, what sort of valuation you have on it. And I'll be asking uh, you as well, Richard, for uh, a possible entry point. But first to you, Ron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, just, just quickly, but really Catman do, I think they should just check the number of shares on issue. They completely uh, diluted themselves at, mm. uh, at the cap rate during COVID. And that's probably why the lack of upside. Um, but just really um, back to Marley Spoon and, um, you know, that, like that's probably sort of the ultimate uh, COVID winner, uh, I guess, you know, um, um, uh, meal kit subscription service delivered to your home. Everyone was locked down. Everyone's cooking at home. People are still scared to um, obviously go out and eat out as much in restaurants uh, because of certain COVID outbreaks and so on. So they've really benefited um, from their consumers cooking more at home and they've um, just had phenomenal growth uh, this year and it hasn't really stopped. So um, they've turned profitable. They're a calendar year business. So in, in 2020, they turned profitable in the second quarter and they gave guidance uh, that uh, revenue will grow 70% this calendar year. Um, and they've uh, seen that sales momentum actually accelerate in the third quarter. And they've reported at the end of August that the results um, that they're now guidance is upgraded to 80 to 100% revenue growth. Uh, this calendar year and even better the unit economics for the business are improving so they're getting better retention rates and lower acquisition costs to acquire uh, new customers and um, now if you look at their current guidance of 80 to 100 uh, percent this year um, it actually implies a drop in weekly sales of about 20 percent for the rest of the calendar year and that hasn't yet to materialize so there's an element of, of the conservative conservatism and potential upgrade by management and also their contribution margin, which really drives their EBITDA. And that's main, been maintained at 29% for this calendar year, uh, but it's actually improved into the sort of low 30s. So that's another potential upgrade point uh, this uh, year. And uh, now I guess uh, the, really the key for this business is whether um, consumer habits sort of stay and all of the new customers that have been cooking at home will 
um, remain customers in a year or two from now when the world sort of goes back to normal and people start going out more and eating out. So I think that's why the stock has probably retraced. Um, but um, that's really the key. So I think valuation-wise, we thought it was probably worth um, you know around the three dollar mark. We've seen an analyst valuation of four dollars twenty. It's trading at two dollars forty. Um, and there's a potential upgrade in there. So maybe if it sort of retreated a bit more, so there's a bit more of a margin of safety around $2, that's, that's not a bad um, entry point. We, don't, we no longer own it. We, we exited um, in the low threes. And, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, just a great story. You know, true COVID winner. It's just a lot is priced in already. Okay, so obviously that last bit of the chart is probably what's raised the question there, Richard. So I suppose that, that obvious uh, next uh, one is, Where's a, a possible uh, level of support that it may very well find? Um, and is there an immediate catalyst for a, a turnaround? Yeah, look, I think the difficult question is here is, Elio, is, is what, what price do you put on that, um, that uh, outlook that uh, Ron was just talking about there? It's obviously a very positive outlook, um, but it's also run up a huge amount. And the last couple of weeks, we've not only seen a $1 retracement, but we've also seen that on very heavy volume. So that just says to me there is further downside in this. Um, you know, the fundamentals may show through, but for the moment, there's a bit of panic hitting this stock and either we'll come back to around $1.40 um, or else you might see some, some buying come in beforehand, but it's gone up so fast, it's so hard for me to tell where the buying support would come in apart from down at $1.40. So for the moment, the sellers are in control and they're driving the price down for the moment. Okay, uh, Dan just quickly asked about the announcement from DXB this morning, which is Diametrics, who make a... Um uh, basically a receptive blocker for uh, those that suffer from liver disease and the like, or kidney, sorry, I should say. Um, and unfortunately, they came out with the initial uh, phase two results today, and it doesn't look great in regards to, there was, a, well, they claim to be a statistically positive impact in regards to those who get it at the initial stage. But from those existing, there was really no difference between taking uh, the drug, which is DMX200, or the placebo. So the 60% pullback that you've seen, unfortunately, is reflective of that. It's not necessarily boding well for, for you know, because once you even get phase three trials, you then got to go out and prove why it's better than existing treatments. And results like that don't necessarily get your, your tried and true specialists to change their uh, ways anytime soon, particularly when they can be sued, when they try something different. So that's unfortunately the reason why that's happened there, Daniel. But Daniel did have a follow-on question, Ron. It's for you, for Harris Technology, HT8 is their code um, out there. Uh, markets, uh, mask sales still booming, obviously, uh, in their pro hygiene division. Um, he seems to believe you ha- uh, know of the business. So uh, do you, Ron? Uh, yeah, actually, we ha- I had a call with the, with the CEO um, a few weeks back. Um, uh, yeah, look, it's a, it's a small sort of uh, online uh, e-commerce business that, you know, sort of like a a mini kind of office works slash JB Hi-Fi. They, they mainly sell sort of more like high-end um, uh, electronic equipment, laptops. Um, they've, again, they've benefited from COVID. They've really seen an, an acceleration and pickup uh, in, in sales as people work more from home and need to fit out um, their home offices. Uh, I think they reported uh, July or August um, revenue of, of around sort of three or four million dollars, which sort of annualizes at 30 or 40 million dollars this year, which is really strong growth. They are slightly profitable, maybe um, a couple of million dollars of, of EBITDA. 
Um, they, they did raise some money, so they are cashed up. I think $5 million of cash. Their market cap are maybe 30 or $40 million. It's not, it's not expensive if you compare it to the, the Kogans uh, of the world in terms of a revenue multiple or EBITDA multiple. Um, it's just that it sort of needs to really show that you know, it can actually gain some scale and you know, go from 30 or $40 million of sales to $100 million of sales. And then that it will show that it's a, it's a serious business, it's scalable, and then uh, obviously it will get a, a meaningful uh, re-rate. We don't um, um, own it, um, but um, it's one that you want to keep an eye on and see whether um, it can just keep going and growing. Yeah, which will be interesting to see if they are able to achieve that. Um, Richard, just uh, quickly uh, in regards to a, a very small stock, Byron Energy, who's been doing a bit of drilling off the coast of uh, the US, um, <clears throat> excuse me, and there's been some quite uh, sizable finds found out of shallow ground. So BYE is their code. Obviously, you know, off the Gulf of Mexico, we know that's an oil-rich area. But And obviously the drilling's good, but I want to take it to a different level in regards to oil prices because the Saudis are sitting there, they're increasing um, production or at least maintaining at current levels. You know, we saw something I never thought we'd see in my lifetime, which was, um, I think it was the April uh, uh, futures price for oil hit negative 30-odd dollars on the day that it was settled. Um, it's really interesting at the moment for oil as a whole. So could you give some guidance in regards to where oil prices are currently trending at the moment? Because obviously that's going to have a massive impact on all our big oilers. Well, the oil price recently has been slowly, slowly edging higher. Um, it can't come off those lows down around with the negative, but the $30 on my chart, it's been edging higher up to around about 40, it's got up to about uh, $47, now. It's just had a recently had a couple of sour weeks off there. Now, I don't see much encouragement from the oil price at the moment because it really hasn't shown a lot of volume off these lows. I would expect it to come back and test near the lows again at the moment. The trend has been down from the highs of 2018. There's a couple of peaks through 2019, all lower, 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 which suggests that, um, the down, that the pressure was still on the downside for crude. So until I see some evidence of some strong demand for crude, I still see more downside from here. Okay, so we're going to come to you in a moment there, um, Richard, uh, for your two stocks to help us see the light mm -hmm. on. But before I do, I just want to have a closing statement in regards to uh, for you, Ron, because obviously it's been a hell of a time for investors who have, you know, basically yeah. been invested in anything other than the big banks. <laughs> um, you know, we've seen a, a massive meteoric rise, particularly in a lot of those emerging type um, industrials businesses that you like to focus on. Just a final word in regards to where you see markets at the moment from a broader sense, because obviously there's been a hell of a strong run. Stocks just go up, they would seem, or until they don't. Where do you see things at the moment and what sort of sage words of advice would you leave everyone um, prior to logging off today? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, there's definitely no doubt that um, it's been, um, um, you know, I mean, Yes, some would say quite sort of uh, easy to make money over the last few months. Um, as you said, you know, tech technology stocks, uh, pretty much anything you bought has gone up. We saw that in the US, some crazy moves there. So I think we, we're basically just seeing that sort of pullback and correction. And there's going to be a lot of these sort of hot air stocks. They don't have much fundamentals behind them. They will struggle to get back. And then the ones that uh, are really benefiting and growing um, from the structural shift to um, you know, to digital work and so on. Um, they will keep growing, but they probably need the next sort of um, set of news flow 
sort of to, to get the sort of investors to, to buy them again. Mm. Um, so I think we might see that maybe in October or November with sort of quarterly updates. Uh, in the short term, we think the tech sector will continue to potentially correct. Um, and also, um, you know, as we sort of emerge from these sort of um, uh, COVID um, lockdowns and, and stimulus, I think there might be a little bit of a shift um, from sort of technology stocks that have benefited from it to maybe sort of old world economy oh. sort of stocks. Uh, that seem quite cheap but regardless if companies keep growing eventually sort of earnings revenue catches up the valuation and then you go for the next uh, run in the share price so long term we're bullish on equities in the sector short term i think volatility sure okay thank you very much for your uh, sage words of advice and yeah very important to always consider both sides of any argument when looking at markets even when you are making money uh okay richard so it's time for you to help us see the light on two stocks so we can go toddle off and do our own research to determine whether they align with our own personal investment objectives and tolerance to risk please okay thanks elio now two stocks i've got for you today they reside uh, in the top 200 the first one i'm looking at is the australian stock exchange now i'm a, a trader of trends rather than an investor so I trade trends and when they stop trending, I get out and I preserve my capital, I move to cash. So I liken it to an analogy of catching a wave down at the beach. So when the wave breaks, I ride that wave or that trend as hard as I possibly can. And when it starts subsiding and comes into the end of the shore, starts subsiding and comes back, that's when I get off it and I wait, and I wait for another move to happen. So. I do that through two different ways. One is I look at a new high on a, on a market, or also I look at a trend reversal, which is a trend that's moving from down back to up. So I'm gonna give you two examples today of how I do it and what I look for. So the Australian Stock Exchange is one stock that since about the start of 2019 in March, May there, it keeps topping out just below $90. Now there's a huge resistance area there at $90. We've got the, the COVID spike down in March, but we've recovered back up there and we have some pretty good support around the $80 level. So I'm looking for the ASX with its new technology, the blockchain it's about, about to, to unleash on the market. Um, I think it, it becomes a bit of a technology stock in that space. And blockchain is certainly one thing that's just changing the world in a lot of ways. And I think if the ASX starts to break above 89, and we've seen certainly the sellers are resisting this at the moment, but if it can break to $89, I think you're gonna see a fairly good run on the Australian Stock Exchange. It does have a very good long-term uptrend. Um, so that's what I'm looking for in the Australian Stock Exchange. It looks very good to me. Now, on the other side of the coin, we have a stock called Jumbo, International, uh, Jumbo Interactive. Now, it um, had to renegotiate a contract with Tabcor. It sells lottery tickets. Um, it re renegotiated, the renegotiated the contract and the market didn't like it one little bit and drove the price down from something like $28 down to around $7 or $8. Now, that's a pretty savage blow and everyone's going, what's going on here? Um, basically what they do is they sell online lottery tickets, okay? So they, they charge a premium. Uh, you, they, you charge about 12% for going online rather than going down to the shop to buy a tax lottery ticket. But I actually went to buy a tax lottery ticket the other day down at my corner shop and I suddenly found that my tax lotto um, shop had closed. So all of a sudden now people are going to start buying their tax lottery tickets online. Um, so I think Jumbo, from its lows of $7, it rose to $13.15. And the whole pattern here, and if you go to my YouTube uh, site, you can see a bit of a, a report on Jumbo Interactive. It's actually what I call a data trend reversal. It rose to 13.15, it came back to seven, uh, came back to about 10, 11 dollars, and found some very, very good support there. And now, if you've seen the last week or two, even last week, it's risen above 13.15 to about 14.65. Yeah. 
So that's a very good trend reversal to me, and the volume has been expanding. So I like the look of that stock. The Tabcor uh, deal is now given about 10 years worth of uh, uh, reliability on its earnings. Yeah, and, and uh, that's so right. I think yeah. So I'll just need to wind you up there. Sorry, Richard, because yeah. we are coming to that's the okay. end. But yeah, no, great summation there. And remember, go to the YouTube channels because you can see Richard's full yep. summation in regards to JIN and go to his website at stockradar.com.au. But on that note, gentlemen, thank you, Ron Shamgar from Tamam Asset Management for your contribution today. Thanks, Elio. Great job. And, and remember to learn more, go to tamam.com.au to uh, see the funds that Ron runs and uh, get a little bit more in regards to the great newsletter they provide too. Um, I highly recommend you subscribe to that. Uh, to which, of course, Richard uh, Lightly from uh, the Stock Radar report, or Stock Radar Software, thank you very much for your contribution today. Uh, and uh, what a smashing first effort. Well done, mate. My pleasure. Thanks, Elio. And stockradar.com.au is where that's at. Now, tomorrow we'll be joined by Richard Hemming from Under the Radar Report. That's why I got confused. And Gary Glover from Novus Capital. So send your questions in early if you can't tune in live. The details question at spotty.com.au or 0480-079-089. Thanks again to our great sponsor, ShareWorld Systems. And remember to go to their website, shareworldsystems.com, to download that uh, new uh, web paper, the 16traits.com. Remember that website, 16traits. 16traits.com to uh, get uh, your hands on that new white paper. Thanks, Ticker, for letting us take an hour of prime time. Time for the Ben Robin Robbo Show. Until tomorrow, I'm Elio D'Amato. You've been watching Spotty, and together we've been shining the spotlight on shares. Take care. Stream us live on the Ticker app, Apple TV, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and tickertv.com.au. Ticker, streaming news now.